Intended for Aegis Archives Section 606, collected by myself, Archivist 726. What follows is an audio recording of four Aegis agents recounting the events that transpired in the anomalous village of Bellhaven in late 2008. While all the memories and actions match up with the chronology provided by Agent Henriksen, I can personally vouch for their accuracy owing to my own assignment on the Bellhaven situation at the time of the Hellstar's arrival. What follows is, as strange as it may seem, absolutely true. Come along, catch a half a lump. Sit with me on a muddy clump. We'll sing a song of days gone by. Run along now, don't be glum. Get you gone now, have some fun. Don't be long for the end is nigh. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Experience in Gold, a tabletop role playing pod game cast. I... Pod game cast. Pod game yes. cast. That's it. Let me take it again. Got it in one. Got it in one. Got it in one. Well, it is It is with that final. I wanted to have one last good one because it is now time okay. for me. Take it to... again, but we're going to leave the other one. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Experience in Gold, a tabletop role-playing game podcast. I am your once and former host and keeper, Connor. Joining me, as always, are Sam, Keith, and Nick. No longer playing Valerie, Sheevan, and Arthur, respectively. Now playing ourselves in this uh, oh in this episode. So um, do I have to? I, yeah. Unfortunately, we do. Uh, I'll be no- Keith. Can I be Keith? <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Nick, you can. Be I'm going me. to no. I'm going to be me because no. you know what? There's there's nobody better. Keith, you want to switch? <laughs> I'll be Connor actually. Oh, Connor, you can be me. You can be me. <laughs> Connor, that means we're married now. Well, <laughs> so I'm your new keeper. No. <laughs> um, I guess that makes me the DM. The Eye of Odin opens up. Key and Peel, re- Key and Peel reference falls out. There you go. <laughs> but today we have something very special planned. It is the end of uh, the Bellhaven situation. We released the finale uh, in the last episode. And we wanted to do sort of a Q&A, a decompression, talking about the show. We took uh, questions from the audience, and we got uh, some great ones. Um, so we're going to be talking about a lot of that today. And then at the end of the episode, I am going to be transferring the mantle of, of games mastership, uh, as Nick did before me. and To the next person. And Nick did before him to the, the next Wait. person in the... Yeah, because you did the, the first music campaign, and then you DM'd the, the second music campaign. Well, the first music campaign uh, wasn't on the podcast, but still. That's true. That's true. Well, as, as I'll hand a torch to myself. I don't mind. As, yeah, as we Nick, know. As Nick did for me, I will pass the torch on to the next uh, member of the cast to DM our next thing, and they'll talk about uh, what exactly that is going to be, so stick around. It's going to be a good time. Um, no spoilers. You got to listen to the whole thing. Don't mm-hmm. scrub ahead. Oh, no. <laughs> or if you do come back because it's gonna be a good talk yes yeah uh, and because i'm bad at facilitating these kind of discussions i'm gonna i'm gonna hand the uh the mic over to uh to mc mc sam can i correct you on that really quick connor yeah. on what because you me and keith are all bad at moderating discussions. Yeah. 
I take offense. You're not wrong. I still take offense. Remember, remember when we tried to have a podcast where we had serious video game discussion and then it turned into a game show? You know what? That was brilliant. (laughs) It was. Well, the thing is, my truest form is like trashy daytime, like talk show host. Like if I could do that, I would be filled with absolute joy. And the only way I can, um, you know, let that side of me come out is when I grill these idiots about their fake people that we made up for the internet. So, um, Hmm. also, I'm really good at asking questions. Very true. Inquisitive by nature. There you go. I'm like a small woodland creature. We gotta be curious about everything. Um... So, yeah, so we're just going to go over some questions people sent in, some questions we had for each other, and I think let's just launch right in, y'all. I think a great starting point is just to talk about our favorite parts of the campaign. And, like, we don't have to get super in-depth, but, like, what was the moment when you were playing and you are like, yes, I love playing in this game or running this game? Connor, you want to take it first? You want me to go first? Okay. Um, if you don't want to, you don't have to. Well, I've I don't have a single favorite moment. Is okay. the thing like there's so many parts of the campaign that I really liked. Um, I think that I have this a, a very big standout moment from each of your mm-hmm. characters. I think mm-hmm. um, that really that I love and I still think about very fondly. Um, for for Shivan, it was when Shivan killed Mab. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I awesome. loved that moment and it took me by surprise. Um, really all of my favorite moments are the moments where you guys threw a wrench at me. Uh, <laughs> and I was not able to dodge it and it hit me square in the face and I was I just <laughs> had to be like, oh what? Um but so she even killing Mab, um Arthur hucking Ipsaw down the well. <laughs> uh Yeah. And then uh Valerie with with when you um merged with, with that. Um, uh, yeah, that was fun. At the end of uh, Electric Desires, when you, um, when you and her were in uh, in Lang, and you had to merge with her to get back, that was that was a, a awesome moment. Mm. Um, so I think those were my three favorite standalone moments of the campaign. I, I think that uh, for me specifically, the favorite moment. I I don't know that it's necessarily the favorite moment, but I like to look back on this moment as it kind of crystallized what it was. Uh, it was actually towards the very beginning when we pull up in Arthur's van, Scooby-Doo style, with Sheevan even as a dog. <laughs> it just, it just crystallized. This is the goofballs, and they're solving a mystery. I, mm-hmm. When we remind me when we talk about tone, that I have something to like when because there's a question that talks about like the tone of the game, I think, mm-hmm. and there's like something that I want to to add on to that because of that. Okay. Um, you want to go ahead, Sam? Yeah, um, I think my, I mean, my favorite stuff is always, like, lore-related. And so I think my favorite bit was all of Gehenna Base, because I did not expect Mm. it. And Mm -hmm. it was, like, this, like, oh my gosh, this is so much wider than I had imagined it was. And that was a very cool moment for me, where it was like, oh my god, like, I saw how much work Connor had put in. And it was like, oh, he just made up this whole thing that's existed this whole time, and we didn't even know. Um, and that was really fun to react as Valerie, too, as well, because, like, she was in heaven. Like, she found this whole secret base, and, like, in this weird world, like, that is absolutely her 
her best space to be in, and it was, I just loved that whole bit, when it, everything seemed to open up a little bit wider. Um, no, I mean, yeah, you, you said that really well. No, it's, it's, I'm no, I have to pick, stories. It's I have to pick thing. something else, gosh darn it. <laughs> no, you can pick Gehenna um, Base Yeah, you well. can pick the same thing. No, 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 actually, I was gonna, I, no, okay, so I think my favorite moment is actually towards the end. Okay. My favorite moment in the campaign, and that would be when uh, the second time I threw Ipsaw down the well. <laughs> um, because it, well, it was a beautiful culmination of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first thing is there's just this beautiful payoff of throwing him down the well again. Down the well that he had specifically created to try to throw me down. Yep. But also it was a great moment where Sheevan and Arthur finally like were like, hey, we're a team. We fucking got this. The the tag team special that you guys had, <laughs> the fastball special that you did, like it completely invalidated the entire thing I had planned for that room. And I was just like, okay, yeah. it's cool as hell. Let's fucking roll with it. <laughs> to that point. Well, that's like, I looked at that and I went, okay, I know what Connor's intent is here. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to try because like, I immediately in my brain went, I see, I see the one design flaw in this puzzle trap thing. And if I, it's just that if I go really fast, they can't stop me. Yep. See, I love those kind of moments though. Like the, like it, it's like the, the Indiana Jones, um, the, the guy with the sword, like doing all the, the sword tricks and, <laughs> yeah. just, and, and possibly and 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 <laughs> like it's those Which, kind of moments that I love. Yeah, In to that point, that... what were those moments for you, Connor? Like, what stands out on moments where you didn't expect us... You, you brought this up a little bit, but, like, mm-hmm. where the story went away you didn't expect it to go because of player action. Oh, there were so many. <laughs> um, <laughs> at, least, at least one every arc. Um, when Arthur got pulled through the TV by, uh, by Yeet and shot out the glass behind him, I was like, oh, fuck. I I had to end the episode there because I didn't know how I wanted to handle that situation. Um, I, th- I even told you as I was like, listen, we need to stop because I don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, that was an awesome moment. Uh, a lot of them revolved around Arthur doing things I didn't expect and she then doing things I didn't expect. Um, uh, you guys took turns being the wild card. Isaac getting thrown well, down the well. Um <laughs> Sheevan making the anti-Mab yeah. personal bubble and giving it to Valerie, um, mm-hmm. which was was huge in terms of what Mab was planning. Like, Mab was not very covertly gunning for Val because one of her her goals, she wants, wanted to eat Valerie. Um, yep. And... Which I did not pick up on somehow. And so I was like, Keith, why are you giving him the marble? I don't get it. What is this? <laughs> Yeah, and, and uh, like, Sheevan did that because exactly. Sheevan has, mm-hmm. at that point, had a taste of Lengian's soul. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes sense. And while Sheevan is weird, Sheevan is clever. Yeah. And the the final one, which was also a very big, like, turning point for me planning the rest of the campaign, was Arthur trapping Yeet. Um. Yeah, that was huge. 
much when when you <laughs> <I love it. laughs> when you trapped Yeet in the uh, the endless coil, the yeah. extension cord. Yeah, in the extension cord. <laughs> I Ouroboros cord. <laughs> I was I was sitting there thinking. I was like, okay, well, I can't do what I initially planned now, and mm-hmm. we can talk a little bit about that later because I think it comes up in another question. But like, there that was a moment where I kind of had to shift gears. Um, of what I wanted the story to be. Interesting. Um, so jumping back to something that was brought up briefly before, I, okay, so like, as a person observing the story, I am fascinated with Sheevan and Arthur's relationship. And oh. <laughs> I, there's like such a strange like dynamic and tension between you guys with like the Fey Accords and stuff. And I just kind of want to talk about because I knew you guys basically improved that, right? Like we, you mm-hmm. guys made up the Fey mm-hmm. Accords and all of that structure on the fly, and so I kind of wanted to know well, how recording. you got there, how you guys, how that affected your characters, and like I don't. It was such an interesting moment of me sitting here, like I know for a fact these two have not discussed this, and we're just <laughs> doing it live. Like how did that work? Yeah, Keith, can I take that? Can I take it first? Okay. Um, You're right. (laughs) We we made up all of it on the fly. Uh, Didn't even consult Connor or each other outside of the campaign on this. How you Um, heard me reacting to to all of this was uh, in the moment. I was like, okay, I guess this is the thing. Yep. And (laughs) I mean, Keith and I have been playing D&D together for a very long time now. Um, and so we've gotten very good at playing off of each other. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. one of those things that is really important between two players and also DM to player, GM to player, keeper to player, etc., is, uh, trust that the other is not going to do something to intentionally invalidate the other's character. Yeah. Um, is the big thing. And I mean, that's that's how I've seen it between Keith and I is that we know like in that moment, Sheevan's pissing Arthur off a lot or Arthur is doing something that Sheevan does not want him to do. But Keith and I know that it's for the good of the story mm-hmm. and whatever happens is going to be fucking awesome. Well, <laughs> and building off of that, it, it's it is like a, a trust in in improv partner kind of thing um it's very much a yes and and. uh so i i had no idea about fey accords but the moment it came out of arthur's mouth it's like yep that makes sense it's a thing (laughs) she even doesn't like that (laughs) (laughs) as a as as the person running the game too like it opened up a lot of storytelling options Mm -hmm. for me like it, towards the finale arc when you guys were prepping i you know i was looking through everything that you guys had done i was like think thinking back on what you guys had available to you and i was like okay well why would the fey assist in any way and then she even offered them like basically a way right. out of the fey accords i was like okay they're gonna take that because yep. she even hates the fey accords there's no way the other fey are fine with it as well and yeah. that's that's another thing of uh trust in in improv is uh you're you don't ever want to betray that you don't want to be the person that invalidates some aspect of another person's character uh because doing so just kind of 
makes it difficult for them to continue playing. Yeah. Right. And if you are the one making it difficult for another person to play, that's probably something where you're you're going a little astray. Yeah, you're and not doing your right. job as a player in the game. And <laughs> it's it's you can kind of one-sidedly decide this is how the inter- the interaction would have gone in the past. It's it's something that would have happened and you can do that, but it's always just important to keep in mind am I changing anything? about somebody else's character right the fey accords weren't it was mm -hmm. an agreement that was in the past between two organizations that we happened to be a part of Mm -hmm. right yep and building off of that on top of that keith like i think there's a beautiful and you guys know how much i love my symbols and my metaphors and all of that but like it's a really cool um not analogy not metaphor what is it um parallel that the fey accords you know kind of like Arthur and Sheevan were both limited and bound by these accords. And the moment that we agreed, yep, this is a thing that we had to follow these Fey accords, your character and my character, but both you and I as players. And we like, now that this is in place, if you were to remove the Fey accords, that destroys so much of Arthur's character. But if Arthur does not allow you to make some sort of adjustment to them with Oberyn, it invalidates your character. Mm-hmm. And so we accidentally bound ourselves by our five-hour <laughs> fey accord. And, like, there's there's a, a distinction between this is something I'm going to do in the game versus this is a character goal. Like, right. I, I the moment they were brought into play, I knew that they were not something she even enjoyed. They were not something that any of the fey liked. They were also not something well, that Arthur was going... didn't even like them probably that much. They're also not something that's just going to go away. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that's not a goal of Sheevan. Yeah. Sheevan will work towards that. And that's how you build good characters, too, mm-hmm. is by putting them against impossible odds and having them do their best. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, that's how... In the post story, I imagine that Arthur and Sheevan amended them so that it was actually good. I, I actually imagine that they, this is my imagination, I imagine that because of home, they yeah. didn't actually do anything to the Fey Accords, they just kind of worked in loopholes, yeah. focused around Arthur, home. <laughs> Arthur and Shivan were like, alright, how, how do we make this better? Alright, there we go. And it was officially renamed to Arthur and Shivan's Cool Rules for Cool Kids. <laughs> and Cannon. there's there's some Cannon. little things in there of like... Faye always have the ability to return home. Right. Right. You cannot prevent a Faye from returning home. Arthur, <laughs> should it be to home? No, just home. Just are, say are home. Are you sure? Just say home. Oh, my God. All right. Valerie was in that meeting for, like, three minutes and got frustrated and left. Like, she was like, nope. <laughs> at some what, point, there's serious... <laughs> at some yeah, point, yeah. there's serious Sheevan just arguing with Arthur, who's always serious... About the semantics of the word "if," <laughs> that sounds like something snappy you trying desperately to moderate. <laughs> Stop writing fan fiction. I have more questions for you guys. Um, okay. So I want to kind of take it back to the beginning. Um, I want to talk about how we thought of our characters, how it felt to role play them, any challenges we had, and I also mm-hmm. want Connor to speak to the concept. You okay. made this world for us. Okay. Um, 
you, Connor, do you feel comfortable taking that, or do you want us to do um, the easier work of character? I, I can talk. I can talk about the the okay, the cool. inception of Bellhaven a little bit. Yeah, so Bellhaven and um, its inhabitants, all the aspects yeah, of it. Where did I've, it from? I've talked about this before, but the the actual setting, like the the town proper of Bellhaven, was was not my official mm. design. It was uh, something that I had played in a game in, and it was just like a, a small incidental set piece. And I asked the DM, I said, hey, can I borrow the town and uh, like maybe one or two character names, which I did, and um, use it to my own devices? And she was like, sure, go ahead. So the town itself was not um, my design. I just really liked it. Um, what was the extent to which you borrowed i'm just interested in so how much was the stuff you built upon the 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 town itself as well as um the the concept of the like the snow globe multiverse sure okay. that was mm. it um wow. the rest of it was was me like okay i've got this this groundwork how do i make it my own mm-hmm. um and so i you know i was thinking i was like okay well what would happen if one of these snow globes was destroyed and that was the the catalyst for the whole story that i i started with was well where would what if like a group of people tried to flee where would they go and then it branched off from there well okay well what if there's this thing that connects multiple snow globes that they could then go to okay well what are some problems that could come from that Mm -hmm. um well if there's already somebody there where you're trying to go that could cause problems they could turn into to monsters. Okay, there we go. I've got my hook. Yep. <laughs> um, yep. So that was the that was the inception of the story. Was I've got this big concept. How do I pare it down to be as palatable as possible? And then I think uh, at some points I still went a little too big. Um, but there's you know that that's it's another conversation. To go too big. Yeah. Um, but so that that was it. Like it was. I had this. I had this town. I had this concept of the multiverse that I wanted to to play around with, and I sort of built it up from there to sure. become its own thing. That's awesome. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, when you pulled in the dream, yeah. Um, I I mean I read that as very inspired by Bloodborne, very inspired by like this cosmic horror genre. <laughs> it was. Cool. <laughs> yeah, the it's game. Great. I think that's it's so important to borrow mm-hmm. these key aspects from other works that are analogous to what you're doing, and mm-hmm. I think you did a really, really beautiful job of doing it delicately and integrating it perfectly into the setting. Thank you. Um, um, yeah, good the, themes all around. The game was initially meant to be a lot more grim. Um, sure. Like mm. I. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, that's that's exactly it. Like there was very early on in the the story, um, like during the the Yeet arc, like Yeet was meant to be a, a very comical villain, but there was still this era, uh, their era, this air of menace around him. Yes, like he was he was threatening. He yeah. desperately yeah. wanted to kill you, even though he was a, a very practical jokery character, mm-hmm. um, and the way you guys reacted to yeet and to that situation i was like okay i could continue making this more dark and more grim and more so i'm just pouring more wine (laughs) it's all good oh my gosh but i felt like with the characters um and especially with the the fact that we were recording this predominantly in 2020 predominantly in 
predominantly in spring, summer, and uh, fall of 2020. Um, Very tumultuous I, emotional times. I kind of I decided, all right, I think I want this story to be more hopeful. So I, I kind of shifted gears to be less you guys suffering but triumphing and more just you guys taking these um, grim situations. Because nothing you guys faced was, like, cheery. Um, yeah. Like, everything you faced was, a, a like, very threatening and apocalyptic. Right. But you guys taking those situations and um, <laughs> and uh, uh, sur- surpassing them? Is that what yeah, I want to say? Like- yeah. Yeah, overcoming. It's very. Thank so you. my favorite genre is hope punk, and that's where you're. In, it's the opposite of grimdark, right? So it, mm-hmm. it's like where you're in these impossible situations, mm-hmm. but hope is the thing that prevails through, and like mm-hmm. that drives the characters. And like, I think that was very key, at least for me personally, playing in this game at the time we were playing in this game to have that as an understood undercurrent. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very. It was encouraging because it's like we and like this kind of segues into our characters i guess a little bit but like i know my i made my character intentionally to be a very broken person Mm -hmm. um because i wanted to explore the concepts of self-redemption right and of like growing past what you thought you could be to become something that you is better than your circumstances um that was kind of like the thesis for valerie and having a story support that made it so much easier to carry that character development mm-hmm. yeah so i'll just describe that do you have anything else to add connor um before we it's something that it, there's something i want to talk about just in terms of like the world and another thing that i kind of pivoted on in yeah. the story but I, it, it doesn't relate to the, the characters as much so okay. i can hold off we, on that until later we'll yeah come back to it mm-hmm. um so I'll just dive into Valerie really quick. I knew, like I said, I wanted to write someone who had been through really bad circumstances, but very mundane circumstances. Like Valerie had a bad family. Um, she has a challenge. She had a very challenging marriage that ended in her husband dying, which we never really got into. And that's something that I kind of wish I could have um, explored more with Valerie. She has mm-hmm. like this really traumatic um, relationship with death, I guess. Um, but I wanted to play her as somebody who explored the, um, like, the beauty of the world through writing. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a writer, and I had never played a writer before. So I was like, how do I bring those observations into a character and marry it with this, like, this trauma that she's working through in a world where the supernatural is real? That was, like, really intriguing for me. Um, plus she was older, she's, um, she started a lot grumpier than she ended up being, and that's part of just my personality <laughs> being unable to play someone who's constantly grumpy, because, like, <laughs> I am, I, I can't help it, I am a sunshine idiot, so that just kind of it's happened true. naturally, but I think that worked well with her development as she went. Mm-hmm. Valor was just a person I feel like I needed to play. It was aspects of myself that I hadn't explored in fiction before. So that's that's Val. I love her. I want to write a short story about her. <laughs> um, we want to do, I don't know, roll for initiative. Who wants to go next? Keith. Sure. Uh, so just uh, I'll, I'll talk just briefly about some of the basics behind Shivan. 
Um, Shivan is meant to be that um, charm strange morality mm. where it's a quark. It's the un yeah. <laughs> Up down. It's 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 top bottom. Uh, instead of up down left right, there's charm and strange. Mm-hmm. Yep. When you're looking at a uh, at a morality chart, like chaotic uh, and yes, very good. Okay. Chaotic to order and good to charming evil. neutral. <laughs> and then there's just charm and strange, and that's the alignment that Shivan is on. Love that. It it it's the Z axis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, because of that, it's it's kind of this idea of somebody who is very simultaneously grounded in reality, but their sense of reality is different from yours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that that plays into them being half human, half fae. They're aware and grounded in the human world, but see it through a fae lens. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's things like... Shivan is in a pretty dark situation as a human, but as a fae can deal with it. Uh, You know, when we when we started out and we were talking about where they were when they got the call to come visit, Shivan's homeless. Yeah, right. That sticks out to me a lot. Like, I think about that quite often when I think of Shivan, I think of. Shivan walking up and down the streets of New York City being like, I need a cab. I, for some reason, my brain always puts you I in mean, New York City. Shivan has been to New York. Shivan prefers Chicago. I, and like I pushing pay phones to get leftover change. Like, I think yes. he said that at some point. And yep. like, that really stuck with me as an image. Of that was, mm-hmm. that was the first thing that, that happened, the first conversation with Mab that Shivan had was yeah. through a payphone that started ringing when they were collecting change. That's right. Yeah, and and it's this, like, they're in a dark situation in reality, and they deal with that by being kind of detached and seeing it through the whimsical fey eyes. And if they're ever in a situation where it's truly, truly insurmountable, they have other options provided to them by this strange, unknowable nature. Things like... They can just be a crow and fly away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I'm sure that a lot of people in dark situations like that in reality wish that they yeah. could do. Yeah. And and so she even has that kind of an option, which puts them in a distinct and different position. But at the same time, they're living in such a dark situation because they're not fully welcomed in the Feywilds mm-hmm. and they don't feel fully at home there either. Uh, and so... They're sitting in this weird position, not belonging to any world, really, and seeing it through so many different w- perspectives that they kind of went a little weird and bonkers, <laughs> even for a fae. That makes me really love the conclusion that she even found, which is where it's like, I, I can't find a place to fit in, so I'm going to make my own. And that's really beautiful. Which is part of why it's called home. home. It speaks really (laughs) nicely to like the experience of people who feel other. And I think that's like a really, really lovely thing to represent in fiction. That's very cool. Good job. I didn't think about it like that before. Yeah, and and part of of why I I had to even name the new residency Mm -hmm. home is 
they started the story homeless mm-hmm. and ended the story in home. I love that. Good thought. Nicely done. Very subtle for Shivan. Thank you. <laughs> I, I mean, as if anything Shivan does is truly subtle, but at the same time, everything is very subtle. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we talked about the Yeet arc before, and I think that there's a very fun moment there where Shivan's talking with the puppet the Dalmatian puppet. Mr. Picky Word, the phonics oh, Dalmatian. And <sighs> asks for a spot. Mm-hmm. But manages to actually pull it off mm-hmm. because bizarre fey magic. Yeah. Yep. And it seems just silly and whimsical. So I was actually taking that into account. I was, while I was racking my brain, I was like, well, do I let him have a spot? Um, and I was thinking if like, if Arthur or Valerie had asked yeah. probably not but right. i was thinking in my head i'm like she convinced this is gonna work clown rules it's gonna work like yeah <laughs> <laughs> and ultimately ended up using that later mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. to great effect mm-hmm. uh yeah and that's kind of how she even i I think my works. favorite part of Shivan as a character was how often that sort of thing happened. Where you would do yeah, something serendipity. seemingly innocuous. Like, you'd just, like, say, oh, Connor, by the way, I want to do this. Oh, okay, yeah, you do that. And then in, in that arc somewhere, it becomes the linchpin of your guys' plans. Like, uh, we, we talked about the enchanted marble. I'm going to mm-hmm. go to the library and grab a marble. Okay, you can grab a marble. Thanks. Yep. See, I've DM'd for Keith before, so I knew things like that would happen. So I'm like, I'm keeping my eye on you, you son of a bitch. Sheevan, <laughs> I should have warned you, Connor. Everything Sheevan did had a purpose. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that purpose was just amusement. Right. <laughs> but it always had a purpose. Sheevan never did anything needlessly. It's yeah. the it's the it's the front page of the highlights magazine. Fun with a purpose. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like a lot of Shivan's that a lot of that aspect of Shivan was what inspired Valerie to do the whole um, Teddy Ruxpin thing mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. at the end because it was like someone brought up like that it's important and Valerie and my writer brain went oh yes this is happening the, <laughs> like, the, I'm gonna this happen. the payoff on the Teddy Ruxpin bit. Like, that has to be its own thing, I think. <laughs> we should just, like, discuss the finale at some point. This, How did the I Teddy wanna... Ruxpin even, like, you were... That was me yeah, originally, yeah, right? Yeah, you, you were asking did... for something I... to... You, you were looking around for something to put Yeet into so you could talk that to him. Talk. That's that right. was semi-human looking. Yeah. That's that, that was, was the entire yeah because I wanted something that was, like, I was like, uh, something that can't hurt us. Right but something that he can go into and therefore has electricity. Teddy Ruxpin. Teddy Ruxpin. <laughs> and, um, like, I, I never actually knew what a Teddy Ruxpin was until that episode. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they were, like, they were like the thing at one point in time, you know? Like, like uh, that one, Jingle All the Way, is that the Arnold Schwarzenegger Christmas movie mm-hmm. where he's got to get his son that oh, one uh, Turbo toy? Man. Turbo Man. <laughs> Uh, and then he is Turbo Man. Mm-hmm. If I was a kid, I'd be like, that's cool, Dad, but where's my toy? Yep. <laughs> like, I'd be like, this is great for a moment, but that toy is going to be there for, like, you know, months, years. Thanks, Dad. Cool. Speaking of 
Turbo Man, can we discuss Arthur, please? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll start with um, challenges with Arthur. Uh, because this was actually one of the more challenging uh, characters for me to play. Because if you guys... I mean, you guys know from all of my NPCs mm -hmm. in the first campaign, I'm not really a stoic, serious person. Right. And I have a hard time presenting that in, like, mm -hmm. even in NPCs. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think the closest that I got was with Asmodeus. The Prestige. And the Prestige. I was yeah, going to say the Prestige. Judith. Villains. Judith was a very, like, yeah. serious, yes, down-to-business down person. Yeah. Right. But, like, I usually have to go all in. Mm -hmm. Right. But with Arthur, I couldn't go all in on his serious because I didn't want him to just be a like a corporate drone. I didn't mm -hmm. want him to be this I blindly follow orders, I just do my job, blah 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 because that's not a fun character. Mm -hmm. Um it can be in the right setting, but this is not the setting for that. I wanted him to be this I wanted him to be the iron giant basically. Mm -hmm. Just this big, unstoppable force with a heart of gold. I love that. I mean, you were practically immortal. So. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that was, and I mean, that was, that was, that takes me into character conception. Is When you pitched the concept of this campaign to me, I looked at, you know, I was like, okay. So he said some eldritch, he said or eldritch horror stuff, mm -hmm. some stuff with dreams, um, monster of the week. I believe we started too with. FBI-related, more, more Twin Peaks-y-related. Yeah. Right, and so that's, yeah, and he told me inspired by Twin Peaks, and mm -hmm. I went, okay, I love Twin Peaks. Dale Cooper is one of my favorite characters of all time. Fictional characters, you know. And I was like, all right, what can I make, who can I make that's as close to Dale Cooper as possible? Sure. And then I saw The Professional, and I was like, okay, let's do that. Something about me is that I absolutely love the SCP project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love it so much. I think it is one of the coolest prevailing communities on the internet. I think we're missing a little bit of its glory days, but, uh, you know, that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> but I wanted to breathe that life into this character. I mm -hmm. wanted to have that moral gray that questionable morality mm -hmm. that we're doing the right thing you know to keep the world safe but we're not really doing it for the in the best methods yeah. always and i wanted him to be this character that the reason he did the things he did is because he wanted to protect the world because he has that heart of mm -hmm. gold and because of that he has a harder time you know, with mm -hmm. the corporation, with the with Aegis as a whole, because he knows we don't do very good things. Yeah. And so when I came up with that, I also was like, you know, I wanted to play some sort of paladin character at yeah. some point on this podcast. And so I said, all right, let's make him an actual paladin. Connor, he has, he, he, he looks like a knight, mm -hmm. but it's all made of like, Kevlar and whatever that graphene 
material is oh. that is like no i was gonna say something that was extremely very wrong <laughs> yes and so and that's kind of how <laughs> that's kind of how arthur was born uh but because you know i was like all right he's strong yeah. And <laughs> almost unbeatable. So where's his vulnerability? It's his little sweetheart. Mm-hmm. It's his little sweetheart, mm-hmm. and also he's a narcoleptic. I, I love. Which Arthur. I wanted to pay off in the dream thing more. <laughs> I, the first time when I was just like, and you're like, you don't go to the dream world. I was like, well, then why did I do this? Now I have to play this up for the rest of the campaign. Gosh darn it, I, Connor. I, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. There was a reason. <laughs> it's okay. Um, it's okay. I loved Arthur so much. Like, I feel like Arthur was such a good foil. Yes. Or not not foil, but such a good, like, counterpoint to, to, to Valerie and Sheevan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we really matched each other. Yeah. We're very mm-hmm. much a Triforce. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. It was good. I had power. <laughs> you guys... And that was, that was the other thing, yeah. Because I wanted... Because I knew, like... I didn't know what Keith was playing, but I knew what Sam was playing because right. we lived together. Right, and, and I, I knew that Valerie to like like really moody music about how can yeah. I be a good person, and you were like, okay, we got some moral quandaries in you. Right, and so I heard Sam, and I knew Sam was going to be playing a character that could be affected by like yeah. the weird things we're about to see, mm-hmm. and I wanted to play this character who was just unfazed mm-hmm. and being like, "Yep, this is my nine to five. Mm-hmm. and. One of their one of their feet or one of their you know features is yeah. unfazable, mm-hmm. and so I was like, here we go. Gray isn't a color. So I yeah, I, I it is something just now <laughs> about all three exist. of your characters. You know mm-hmm. that that meme with the the triangle and it's uh you know the the kids in the back uh screaming McDonald's McDonald's McDonald's. The yes. pulls in orders single black coffee and leaves, and then we have That's food Arthur. at home. You three in this arc were the exact points yeah. of the triangle. That's weird. Each of your characters. <laughs> which well, which one is the black? Co- that's probably. Who would you say? No, I'm I'm black coffee and really? we go. I See, oh yeah, I was, I was thinking Valerie was black like coffee Valerie and we is. go. You think Arthur so? Arthur is yeah. we have food at home. Yeah, and she no, you're right. McDonald's, you're right. McDonald's, McDonald's, McDonald's. Yeah, yeah she even, We all know she even is McDonald's, McDonald's. Yeah, I feel like Valerie's like, oh yeah, you're right. I would like some coffee. Oh, <laughs> you have problems too. I, I also I did want to say, and it's one of the things that I was because I, I I said in the uh, a tweet earlier that like I I love how this campaign ended. I love the story. Mm. There are things that oh, I was man. not as yeah happy with and i think the big thing for me and you guys were all talking about it is i wish this was i wish i didn't commit to this being a shorter game Mm -hmm. Um, i wish this could have been a full long campaign because i felt Mm -hmm. when i was planning things i felt very restricted in what i could do so the story was all very very central and very focused i would have loved to originally said it was going to be what 10 episodes yeah yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I would have, I would have loved to dig more into uh Valerie's background, she uh yeah. Sheevan's um relationship with their family, uh Arthur's, you know, like bureaucratic red tape. Like I there was a lot that I really wanted to go into more detail on that I just felt like I needed to put on the back burner so that I could Yeah help the story yeah. move forward Drive in a time like that. Yeah. But yeah, I still I just, feel like all of what you guys talked about, like thinking back on your characters, 
there were definitely moments where all of that shined. And I still got that sense of what you guys were going for through it all. Yeah. I feel, I, I feel like, um, sorry. Uh, Go ahead. I, I feel like a big thing about it is that so much of this wasn't explored and that can be sad, but mm-hmm. it isn't like it didn't color so much of yes. what we did. That's exactly what I was right. going to say. Uh, yep. And so it's, it's, it's like we had a, a perfectly set up one season show that mm-hmm. then comes with guidebooks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that gives like you the background, right? It's like you learn. You're like, wait, I want to learn about why Book is the way he is, and then it's like, oh, good, there are comics, right? That like explore yeah, backstory, yeah. like that, and that for me, it's like Avatar. Man, I wish that yes. I could have more of the Last Airbender. Oh, thank God they've made comics. That's... Twin Peaks. <laughs> totally. Oh, by exactly. the way, there's two books. Guess what? It still doesn't explain anything. Well, <laughs> and like that's what is a mark of a well-crafted story for me, though, is that there's aspects that you are aware of and you continue to wonder about them. Like Mm -hmm. real life doesn't get conclusions to everything. And Mm -hmm. I like when stories can mirror that. Like there's, there's still a lot of stuff that I know personally, like Valerie didn't get to, but she is in my head, a living, breathing person. And that's Mm -hmm. how I play her. And she's going to get there someday. Like Mm -hmm. we, I like that we continue to have nuance because Real life doesn't wrap up with an epilogue, you know. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. and it, it's nice. It's more it, it's speaking along those lines. It's really nice to think of it in terms of um, if people hear more about these background aspects, it won't be oh wow. It'll be huh yeah yes. that makes sense <laughs> right totally yeah. Then, like, because there's too much exposition that later on, mm-hmm. when, you know, one of the characters does something, it's not this, oh my gosh, that's right. It's just like, ah, uh, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. There were some things that I was planning on touching on, but throwing the mare down the well put a stop to yeah, that. There was going to be, there was going to be a bit more revealed about what exactly something glowing was. Mm-hmm. Um, do you but that. Reveal it now or do you want to leave it in mystery? Just leave it as I... mystery, man. Because we might play it again honestly we can play it it's up to connor connor it's your story what do you want there are i put clues in (sighs) the finale that hint at the the broader picture of what exactly something glowing was okay sweet i have my own personal suspicions what is it (laughs) uh so something glowing is clearly a unique identifier for each snow globe in some way shape or form Mm-hmm. Okay. My thought yeah. is it serves as a beacon, mm-hmm. both for the transfer between snow globes as well as for the Hellstar, mm-hmm. as well as just representing that this is where this snow globe exists, kind of like a spatial coordinates. Mm-hmm. You guys. Yeah, but the Hellstar still found us after Mayor Ipsaw. And something glowing. Well, this is already locked the, under the Hellstar was already on the way at that point. Yeah. Oh, okay. Got it. At yeah. that point, it just okay, had to keep right. going, mm-hmm. and it would hit us. You learned a little bit about what the Hellstar was planning. That's another thing that didn't get fully revealed, and that was by design. Um, yeah. Because phenomenal cosmic horror, you're not going to know exactly what it's right. planning. But you, mm-hmm. you learned a little bit about what its goal was, um, and that 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 plays into it. Become as gods. Yep. I mean. 
the thing that I find so interesting about cosmic horror is there is like an inherent spirituality to it, mm-hmm. but it's like this really weird, like way we don't think about like. Well, it's a perversion of it. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. That's the whole idea. Is an elder god is a perversion of whatever our religion believes a god to be, and that's beautiful. So if if Shivan was charm on the charm strange scale, then the eldritch horrors are strange. Right. Yeah. Strange. <laughs> strange. 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 Anything Shivan's else? neutral charm. Anything else, Connor? Uh, on the on no. something glowing. On something. Um. Not on something glowing. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's. Um. I want to talk about NPCs. Okay. All right. First of all, round table. Who are your favorite NPCs? Uh, it, our, our, our friend and listener Isamu says, out of the side characters, which was your favorite and why is it Amber Moon? Which is <laughs> our real feeling. Yes. I also want to bring up yeah. that um, Dare Bear, who is also a listener, um, called out Snappy as their favorite. So I just, I want to know. Do I have to choose one? No, you get to have a whole other thing. We're going to get to you in a second. Okay. So Keith, Nick, me, we'll just name our overall just round table quick. And then Connor, you get to, we get to like get in neat gritty with you. I mean, Amber, like, so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Amber, Amber is yeah. an absolute I given. I feel like we need like... to set Amber to the side because she wasn't like <laughs> our team. Um, yeah. I, I loved, um... I, I mean, I, I love the twins, but I specifically love um, the Ruth and... I'm blanking on her name. Lori. Lori Lori. Because, like, look, the thing is, if I, Sam, was a character, I am Lori Piper. Hello. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> um, so just personally, that really resonated with me. So I always like to see what you're going to do with her. She's a little <laughs> bit softer, I think, than the rest of the world. So mm-hmm. it was nice to see that represented but uh nick who's your favorite my favorite um if 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 i couldn't choose amber Amber and snappy um would have to be roy slash matt um because i absolutely loved the character of yeet uh connor i know like i've known for years that you're absolutely phenomenal at voices but when you pulled that out i was just like Edwin. Edwin. Yeah, let me just mm-hmm. do a perfect Edwin impression. Don't worry about it. It's fine. They can I was like, oh my gosh. Matter. Don't worry about it. Right. And but but the thing is, is like, there's so much depth to that character. I felt like Roy and Matt's relationship, and like the the even Roy's relationship with himself. Yes. Like there were so many layers yes. to that character. It was, in my opinion, the character with the most depth out of all of your NPCs. And I loved mm-hmm. it. And I mean, you could kind of tell even in the way I was playing because Arthur latched onto him. Yeah. Like Arthur trusted him mm-hmm. because he knew. There. Yeah. There was a, there was an interesting kinship of like, you didn't want to become this, but yeah. the, your circumstances led you to become this. That is actually a big reason why uh, Roy was very quick to jump on board with your plan is because he, he also like felt that same thing. Like he didn't kill me. Why? Right. Mm -hmm. I forgot about Carnahan. I love Carnahan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I loved Carnahan. 
Valerie also kind of had a crush on Carnahan. It was really fun to play that one. I was going to say, like, in the, in the penultimate episode, <laughs> yeah. Valerie kissed Carnahan. Yeah, I gave him a kiss on the cheek, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I don't know if I said this in the finale, but I picture them as, like, <laughs> they, like, aren't dating, but they, like, sometimes casually sleep together. Like, that they're just, like, these old people who, like, I say old people, Valerie's, like, 45, but who, like, older people who have been through some stuff who are just, like, I get along with you, like, let's go out and bang. Like, I don't know why I see that. Oh, my God. There, there's just a connection there, and I, Valerie. Like, neither of as, them wants a relationship, right. but they both want mm-hmm. a connection. Right. And they both have sexual desires right and like because i know valerie's like after and i won't get into like her 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 marriage stuff but she after that she's like well i'm done with this but then i think she was just like hey look this really simple like dude who's like i trust and she feels comfortable with and it was a surprise to me in that moment when she Mm -hmm. did that but now i'm like oh that totally makes sense like carnahan was a very fun character to play (laughs) um he was Sorry. also a character who was going to be a lot more important before yes. there was a, a pivot um, in the, the, in the story. The and before the mayor got hooked down the well, yeah. <laughs> yes, um, before the well incident. Yeah. Um. <laughs> having having your having oh, the, the person who you're the right-hand man of get hooked down a well uh-huh. to their demise uh, kind of throws a wrench in your, in your story. I arc. will never apologize. <laughs> no, it was perfect. I loved it. Was it. it was a great moment. <laughs> uh, Keith, NPC? Uh, so... I actually think that it's a toss-up for me. Setting aside Amber Moon and Snappy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the two I wanted yes. you to love the most. Yes. <laughs> Amber's the best. Uh, but um, I Look, actually... She's just the best. I actually right. go with Yeet as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of that is that he's a mirror to Sheevan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the clown version, yeah. He, he, Neither of them wanted to be so disconnected from reality, but again, it's circumstances. They can't control that. Uh, And then it's what they did with it. Sheevan was very self-serving, but not malicious. Yes. And then Yeet was put in the same situation, had powers for similar reasons or similar powers, and had a similar semi-whimsical roundabout i'm Mm -hmm. doing this weird thing oh look it's the solution to the problem later uh Mm -hmm. kind of handling of things but it was the opposite direction yeet was doing something very selfish that was inherently kind of malicious towards Mm -hmm. matt and everybody else Mm -hmm. no it it was not kind of it it was it was malicious (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Yeet was malicious and selfish yes. with this yes. whimsical power. And Sheevan is selfish, but not malicious, kind of benign right. with this whimsical power. It's, yeah. it's I, I, I love that read on Yeet. Um, because it's true, he was being selfish in what he was doing, but at the same time, knowing his goal, mm-hmm. like it, it, in the, the end game, yes, he was trying to destroy the world. To mm-hmm. save every other world, right? So like it yeah. was, it was sort of that like that that martyr thing, but he went mm-hmm. about it in a very very selfish way. Like the the whole action team was a very fun like thing to write because in the end their goal was like the greater good, noble. Mm-hmm. Um, right. They just went about it in a very selfish way, and I really yes. like that about them. 
I love, this is why I love stories though, is mm-hmm. you get that nuance, you get that struggle. Mm-hmm. I didn't want them to be objectively villainous, and there's a there's a reason yes. for that that I can talk about in a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the other character that is in the running as well is Putan. Oh, Your so old pal, Gerald P. And and part of that is for a similar reason. Um, again, he's kind of very similar to Shivan in mm-hmm. some aspects, but then they diverge. Uh, kind of whimsical. They've got weird powers. They don't necessarily belong in the situation that they're in. Mm-hmm. But then where Puton and Shivan diverge is their willingness to d- directly interact and yes. change the outcomes. Mm-hmm. And so Puton is the more powerful version of Shivan that's just like, I can't interact with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It caused too many True. problems. It reminds me of, of the in Bravest Warriors. The only, re- the only reason Puton didn't like help you guys more is because he was in a, in a bet. Um, yeah. He had, oh, yeah, he had money right. riding on the outcome of this game. Um, uh, oh, God, I love that so, so, he, so he couldn't outwardly assist you. Yep. Yep. Um, that, that tracks. <laughs> all right, Connor, let's talk about your NPCs. Yeah. Um, first of all, who is your favorite to play as? Do I have to choose one? No, you don't. Okay. Just and you can there. you can choose Amber Moon. Yes. I, and Snappy. <laughs> and, and Snappy. Legitimately, my three I have three favorites okay. that I voiced. It was Amber Moon, Snappy, and uh Puton. Um mm-hmm. just because they were they were so fun and um and Yeet. I gotta throw Yeet in there, because yeah. Yeet was such a fun character to voice, too. Oh my gosh. And those were mm-hmm. the four characters yeah. that I spent the most time really perfecting their voices. Like, I wanted... I wanted each of them to have a very, very, very unique voice, mm-hmm. and something that, like, set them apart from the rest of the world, and something that was very, like, okay, there's something strange about these people, regardless of even if they're normal. Um, like, which, off. which none of them were, but... Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, those ones uh, were those, definitely I mean, my those favorites. Those are your demo reel. Y'all want to hire Connor <laughs> because you should. Because listen to those four voices. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for real though. <laughs> um, so in terms of development of characters, mm-hmm. um, we got a question: Were there any cool characters you planned yet never got to use? If the answer is no, that's fine. <laughs> I I think the the answer is actually no. Because I, I, I planned out the story as much as I did, I knew who was going to be in play at any time. And any of the, the mm-hmm. characters I, I developed voices for and developed backstories for all showed up in the game at one point or another. Um, which is evidenced by the fact that when a new character got thrown into play by whatever you guys did, I had to, to scramble and think up a voice for them, or think of a voice and a name for them. Which, voices, I can do. I'm good at like yeah. making a voice up on the fly. But names, garbage. I can't make up the name you of a person. Just gotta have a little stock of names yeah. ready. Dude. This is why most of my improv NPCs are named <laughs> Jack, John, or, Joanne. Gosh, you guys, well, just you have named... a just have a cheat sheet of names no, and put. Remember when you check... named a key NPC Breckenridge because we had a Breckenridge yep. bottle cap on the table? Like, <laughs> oh my god! Because that was the, what we were using as the token for him, and then. Mr. Breckenridge became a key NPC yeah. later on. 
Yeah. And then just, we kill them. I mean, just just think of like the the difference between my my planned named characters, uh, like the the some of the the acronym names: your ethereal eternal transmission, synaptic so network, and personnel interface. And then a character who shows up just once or twice, D- Derek. <laughs> <laughs> No, okay. Not, nothing I, wrong with the name Derek. I want to put that out there. There is absolutely nothing wrong with the name wrong Derek. With Derek. If your name is Derek, no, you, Derek, stop. Bummer. It. I um, know there's. I know there's a Derek who listens to the show. <laughs> Get wrecked, Derek. Oh no. No. Oh. You're our. You're our favorite. Um. So I want to. I do want to talk about those like acronymed characters. Mm-hmm. How you thought like i should make an acronym for this person um specifically like ipsa yeet are the two that like stand out to me mm-hmm. i f- i love ipsa's name i will probably not yeet was just for the jokes yeah. wasn't it yeet i mean was, <laughs> yeet was fitting for so initially all of the 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 monsters were going to have acronym names sure. um uh your ethereal eternal transmission yeet was effectively a uh a, a monstrous broadcast um he was very heavily inspired by uh well there's a a a lot of the the monsters were inspired by uh lemon demon songs off of the album spirit phone Um, i remember i listened to it after we hit Mm -hmm. yeet the first time yep um yeet was heavily based off of uh the song uh cabinet man which is about someone trapped in an arcade cabinet that uh occasionally eats people um Oh, and very good. Also heavily inspired by I don't know if you're familiar with the the creepy pasta of Candle Cove, um, yes. where this this children's TV show that is evil and spooky in some way. Like that was the the initial thought process behind the character of of Yeet, and your ethereal eternal transmission works for that. Um, synaptic network and personnel interface for Snappy. She was a like manufactured soul put into a body to interact with people um in perpetual solitude humanity's companion yeah fuck <laughs> i listen it all I, comes back to p5 technically i did it before atlas uh <laughs> you did well yes yes you did Snappy always reminded me of um in portal 2 oh i was gonna say in infinity train in the infinity happy train, part yeah there's a long and beautiful tradition of very charismatic robot partners, and I really love that you carried that mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. My favorite thing with Yeet's name is actually it kind of corresponds to the personality mm-hmm. of just your eternal ethereal transmission. Yeet! Yeet. Which made no sense in the era we were playing in, and that's why it was so beautiful because it was so anachronistic. Oh yeah, so, it, was, so it was meant to be anachronistic. I do so like good. that. It implies that Yeet is a, like an eternal eldritch... ethereal, right? Well, like it's a it's it's like an eldritch you know utterance mm-hmm. at this point now, and then like some teen in the future is just Yeet, yeah, they and everybody like... came to them. If they say yeet three times in a mirror, a monstrous clown will appear in their their bathroom. Excuse and, me while I go do this right now. And honk. No. Uh, but yeah. He just laughs, honks, and disappears. <laughs> Ipsa. I think that's the last one we have. Um, in Perpetual Solitude, Adventure Waits. Ipsa sent his friends uh-huh. and what he believed to be the hope of saving the multiverse 
off and was effectively alone. Um, it wasn't touched on much, but Ipsaw was like effectively fighting back against the the influence of the Hellstar the entire time. Yeah. Um, that sounds so, so tragic. Yeah. I loved the character of Ipsaw. The, Not the, the mayor. Was... Mayor can get wrecked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, well, yeah. the mayor got wrecked. Mayor Isaac Twice. and Ipsaw are two very different characters. <laughs> Twice. Ipsaw but got also, wrecked. But also, in a way, the same character, just not yet. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, voices! Connor! You are a voice man! That, you I... put that on a business card. Um, please talk about the process of how you make voices. You're mm-hmm. so so good at it it's what brought so much charm into the story i for uh a very long portion of my life i've had a a a good ability to adjust my my natural voice i can talk very high i can uh naturally speak in a higher timber or i can go low uh and for whatever way i do it it's it feels natural to me um so a lot of what i do for from making now he's just showing off no show off connor (laughs) (laughs) if if anyone needs uh voices for anything uh hello get in contact Uh, my name is my name is connor grayson uh this is my audition for your project um (laughs) (laughs) please though that's the thing i'm like i want you to constantly do Mm -hmm. voices publicly so that people hire you to do them professionally because i think you've got what it takes boy me too that's the goal. That's the, the you actor. got the stuff. That's the goal. Is I, I I definitely want to be a professional voice actor. Like that's a goal that I'm trying to work towards and figure out how to work towards that. But Are um, you, like flexing your skills and challenging yourself with this campaign. Kind of yeah. I I don't think I was doing it intent. Like I wasn't like oh this is a way for me to get my voices out there. <laughs> this was it was just like I want these characters to all have unique voices. And the way I usually go about it is I think okay, I I start with with pitch. Um, does this character have a high-pitched voice? Do they have a low-pitched voice? Do they have an accent? Um, I had two characters Excuse with me Irish... while I take notes. I had two... <laughs> like, the best example, I had two characters with Irish dialects in this in this game. I had uh, Lori and I had uh, Dr. Shannon Sweeney. Um, the difference between the Shannon's two weenie. is we have uh, Lori Piper, whose uh, voice is a lot higher. She talks a lot faster. She's n- not as sure of herself. Uh, sometimes she stutters. Uh, meanwhile, Dr. Sweeney... Uh, he's a bit more confident, he's a lot slower, he takes his time with every word he says, and even though I'm using the same dialect and uh, similar vocal registers, uh, the difference in how they talk is um, a lot more telling of the character. Mm-hmm. That just, I think I loved it so much because it adds an extra layer of characterization. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. And honestly, this is why I like I love Critical Role, and the reason I one of the reasons I love it so much is because these voice actors are able to add that extra characterization into it because they mm-hmm. understand how to further represent the personality and ideals of their character through mm-hmm. the vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a really cool skill, and I personally am jealous of it. You guys, if you ever hear me run something, will be like, "Oh, you can do two <laughs> accents, great, good." <laughs> That's all you need. That's all you need. Them. <laughs> I'm gonna Sam. Remind me to send you a video. There's a video I watched. It's um, it's something like how to create uh, a thousand unique voices or something like that. But yeah, it is. So it's I've basically it. just yeah. It's it's basically just what I was talking about before. We're thinking about pitch and speed oh. and um, pauses, stutters, things like that that you can use to like even if you can't do dialects, which 
Irish is the only dialect I feel like I can do well because I spent a lot of time in college for a voice and speech class learning how to do Irish well and to make sure it's not just like, oh, look at charms. I'm a fucking stereotype. I can't like, even I can't I can hard, I can't even attempt I can't even attempt Irish. Wait, Connor, can you do a Mickey Mouse? No. My voice doesn't go <gasps> that high. <laughs> Everybody's got to come over here to Bellhaven otherwise everyone's going to die from the hellstar. Hold on, let me let me try something. Oh, Mickey's say, over horror. Say, fellas, did somebody say door to darkness? That's right. See, good. yep, there it is. That's a good Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, you can you can do you, you can do the Mickey Hearts voice. Don't even say you can't. <laughs> I've been trying to do Minnie, but it really is just me talking flattened, and it's bad. Um. Anyway, <laughs> moving, moving. What well, happened? There, there is actually something I want to bring Please. up in terms of NPCs real quick, and it's something Please. that I didn't notice when I started the campaign, and it's something that I kind of had to pivot on when I mentioned earlier that I didn't want the um, the action team to be explicitly villainous. Um, there are very, very clear and initially unintentional parallels that can be drawn from um, a number of NPCs in this game to people with uh, dissociative identity disorder. Yes, I want to talk about um, that too. Yes. This was not something I intended when I started running the campaign. Um but just in the way that I presented the lives of the characters, even some of the terminology I use, like yeah. the, the, the term host is uh, rooted in dissociative identity. And switching. Cult, yeah, and, and the switching of, of personalities depending on the situation um, and how the people respond to that is very similar to those disorders. And I realized that if I continued on the path that I wanted to initially do, where, you know, the, the villains were these people, that I would be continuing to perpetuate a very negative stereotype of people with those disorders in that, you know, they are something to be feared. Right. Um, mm -hmm. so, looking at you, M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> looking at you. It's God, God Split is a garbage movie. It's um, so terrible. Which movie? Split. 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 It's miserable. Mm -hmm. It's supposed Ooh. to be the the. To you about it. <laughs> it's supposed to be like the sequel to Unbreakable, and I hate yeah. so much that they're in the same world. Mm -hmm. I hate so <laughs> much of the things that M Night Shyamalan has chosen mm -hmm. to be. But, but that was that was something that I needed. I, I knew I needed to make a conscious effort to, to change. And I know for a fact, I fucked up still. Like, even in my attempts to pivot and try and do what I could to make it, even though it's, it, I, I intentionally tried to make it something different. Yes. But even I then, I feel like I still probably fucked up somewhere. And for that, I apologize. Um, yeah, I want to say that actually, mm -hmm. on that note, as, as I played Valerie, I was very, very grateful that for the about a year and a half before that I'd been watching DID YouTube mm -hmm. without mm -hmm. even like, cause I was just interested in it and I'm interested in mental health and disorders and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was so grateful that I had that foundation of like mm -hmm. having understood and learned a lot about that mm -hmm. condition um, to try to portray Valerie in the most respectful way I could mm -hmm. and not um, Valerie and Beth and to, and not try to, um, I guess, 
fictionalize what I think having that would be like. Yeah. And try to like actually every choice that I think you and I, Connor, made with those two characters, mm -hmm. um, trying to root that in what I had heard stories about and rooted and, in experiences and of people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Um But so oh yeah. my gosh. If you have criticism about that, please I want please to hear us. it because yes. I would love to grow on that. It is I'm I'm But like DM us, don't don't add us because <laughs> No, get in touch. Like I <laughs> yeah, whichever. something you're passionate about, like <laughs> mm -hmm. and that you have experienced personally or with family members, like I think this was I like I said, I had become so interested in it personally and then it came up as a theme in the campaign and it was mm -hmm. like very intriguing and almost serendipitous and I want to like uh, Yeah discuss I, it. Well, it was, I it feel was very like... interesting because like I over the course of uh playing this game I realized that I knew a couple mm -hmm. um DID systems and that was sort of the, the moment where I, as I was doing research on it um, on the disorder and, and all that. And um, that was sort of the moment where I was like, oh, no. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh -oh. I need to, I need to change some things. Thing in fiction. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. a, it's, and I think, I think. I generally just stay away from it altogether. Right. But I think, which is really valid and very good. But I think we can. Well, because I don't want to mess it up, you know? Mm -hmm. You like, know, yeah. I, and that's what, and, and, and a willingness to grow and listen and adapt like mm -hmm. and that you personally know people is very buildable and i don't know it's a very complicated mm -hmm. aspect i think of this campaign that also fascinates me the most yeah and i mean i feel like uh any of us would be happy to have conversations about mm -hmm. criticisms comments or totally. things like that about that Absolutely. or anything Always. else in in that kind of vein uh, of representation or uh identity or anything like that uh that has like come what up you want to see in our campaigns or could come up in our campaigns mm -hmm. I, I know mm -hmm. i'm happy to discuss it um 100%. and i know all of us are. i assume all of us are <laughs> it's, yeah it's very important to i think as well not to make this really serious, but we are all white people, mm -hmm. and <laughs> <laughs> we're from the Midwest. What do you expect? Well, and, and the narrative around representation and who owns what stories is ever evolving, especially mm -hmm. in this past year. And it's important to come into. It's important to represent diverse narratives, mm -hmm. and it's also important to do that respectfully. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. right, like. I was going to say, like, there are certain things that are from the beginning of experiencing gold, like mm. from the very beginning that I'd go back and change mm. now, but I can't. And we can own that, though. Gross. Nor hey, will I. Like, and I mean, I don't think at any point I was disrespectful, but it was more that I just didn't understand the full scope. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like Connor said, he, you know, you were learning about it as you went and you're like, oh, shoot, got to got to take a small pivot here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, a lot of people would say that, you know, oh, you're, you're, you're trying to appease the, the do-gooders and the, the, the SJWs. It's called but just it's, being it's, respectful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not even just that, but it's like, I mean, yes, it's that. But, like, it's by understanding and knowing these things, you're able to create a more complex and more interesting story yeah and that, that's exactly representation what I was 
representation matters. I mean, if 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 it's only white cishet men in mm. all medias, Barf. then everybody's so going smash. to to feel like unless that's they're the all only... me. No, shut up. <laughs> but, Everybody's going to feel like that's the only thing that's acceptable. Representation matters because it means that these people exist. It's okay. There are other people like it. It's exactly. not you alone. In short, it's 2021. Come on, guys. Connor, did you okay. want to add something to that with, with yeah. going back to DID? It, well, like the last thing I wanted to say is I, I, I feel like once I... Like, thinking back on it and what I originally planned the story to be, I feel like after pivoting and making a conscious effort to be more conscious of these of this disorder that I wasn't necessarily representing, but there were parallels yeah. that could be drawn and trying to make right. sure I was respectful to that story, I feel like the story was more interesting. Yes. Like, mm -hmm. like not having it just be, uh, you know, bad monsters attack town or, you know, like, things like that right it became more okay well, well what what is what is going on with with these characters what are what are they going through what is the reason for the for, for this yeah yeah the and most I, interesting stories are the ones where nobody is wrong yeah mm -hmm. except for the hellstar except for the hellstar the hell well star even the hellstar was, was right was by its own perspectives well <laughs> We can't get into that universe. <laughs> no offense but that, to you. That's something that I did want to <laughs> mention and like sh do a shout out to Connor on is that like there's this beautiful thing about like how Bellhaven, yeah. it originally we enter in and it's this foreign, scary world mm -hmm. and you know there's this lingering sense of wrongness, mm -hmm. I think is even a way you described it. Mm -hmm. Um, but by the end of the campaign, it's a place of healing. I'm, I was, you know, the it's a place, and, and, yeah, and it's, but like it's we all also kind of where identify you guys, a big part of ourselves. Yeah, it's also right. That's what I was about to say. End. It's where people, yeah. where people found themselves, mm -hmm. both literally oh, and figuratively. And I mean, even Arthur is able to like open up at the end and like, I mean, cause that's kind of, you know, this, the scene where he takes his helmet off mm -hmm. is, Maybe. you know, <laughs> he he's literally opening up. He literally <laughs> came out of his shell. Yeah, literally. That's what I wanted to do with that. And so, but I did still want to keep, you know, what Arthur looks like a mystery. Yeah. Like I have no idea. I, I myself do not know what Arthur looks like because to me, he's, do you he's think, just Arthur. Do you think he's dysmorphic looking at his face? Um, Maybe. I don't think he actually knows what his face looks like. He does okay, now. Sure, 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 sure. But I feel like, well, that's getting into like the whole backstory that I never like fully explored. We'll just have to write um, comics. Right, yeah, we, exactly. <laughs> yeah, just one of us has to get really good at drawing. Working on it. Dibs on not. Thank you. I can not do it. the writing. All right. I can do plotting. <laughs> Okay. But, oh. Yeah. No, I was going to say, like, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to make sure Connor had said everything he wanted to about that. That, that, was, that was it. That was the main okay. thing that I wanted to talk about. Okay. To lighten the mood a little bit, we're going to do rapid fire um, and just kind of. Rapid fire before we wrap it up? Well, maybe. Um, okay. <laughs> oh, that was really good. So Come I, on. I'm going to 
ask myself a question. Um, so <laughs> I, I mentioned a little bit of the Beth and Valerie relationship, and somebody asked what aspect of that relationship I liked the most. And for me, it was the um, that Beth was a little sister, and then mm-hmm. she was a mentor. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. Valerie, um, and, and that was reflected in Valerie's change of feeling like she is always right to feeling like she has space to grow. Um, and mm-hmm. learning that vulnerability and then like um, as Beth came into herself and you did such a good job with that Connor it was so fun to play off of that it's kind of a um, Malachi and Yol thing almost that I felt yeah. um, as that happened I was able to play off of that and then reveal some of Valerie's vulnerabilities that she felt like she always, she always had to protect Beth but now Beth is the one protecting her, and it was very cool mm-hmm. to, to work with through that. Um, someone asked, do you think the Bellhaven situation will be Valerie's best-selling book to date? I don't think she published the Bellhaven situation. I mm. think she made a lot of notes on it, and I think she started the draft, and it was too close to her, and she couldn't do it, um, which is oh, why she pivoted to the Beth Bell um, mysteries. Ultimately, um, does which... is there a, a manuscript sitting in her desk somewhere that Teacher, somebody probably. will find in a hundred years? Absolutely. No, he just on. confiscates it after she dies. <laughs> well, she couldn't help, but I think she couldn't help but tell the story because that's her instinct. Mm-hmm. But it it was just for her and for the others. And I feel like like she even would write notes in the margins and be like, that's wrong. Um, just scribble on things. Or to redact stuff. And oh my gosh, I, so many. So like, she never she never put it out in the world because it ended up being her story, um, mm-hmm. not a story she was researching to tell. She was wrong. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's Valerie's whole character development. She was wrong. Um, <laughs> Toward the end of the series, this is from um, a listener named Isamu. Toward the end of the series, Valerie tried to mend her relationship with her brother. Were there any aspects of the relationship that you wish you could have gone into more detail with? Um, mm. Yes. Connor's nodding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was another casualty of time. But I also think, like, it was nice the mm-hmm. way that we worked with it. Um, I find complex family dynamics very interesting to explore and they give me so much anxiety (laughs) (laughs) well i don't have i don't have i have i have a half brother so like i don't have that sibling dynamic with people he's much younger than me um and so looking at that it also integrates into her her backstory with her husband like basically her brother was responsible for her husband dying and just very messy knot of um, people stuff um so yes but also valerie healed from that through her experiences in bellhaven so i also feel like what we saw was the the start of the process yes. like the, it, it wasn't like a, a a sitcom like oh now we're now we're perfect again yes like it totally. was what we saw in game was the start of something that's going to continue for the rest of these characters mm-hmm. lives it's incredible. Yeah. There's, there's a, uh, there's a comic later on that's a road trip. <laughs> it's a road trip movie mm-hmm. s- structure mm-hmm. of the two of them, a hundred percent. Yeah, I... what we saw is literally just somebody opening up the gate or yeah. extending that branch. Yeah. You mean it's Bellhaven helping people heal? Yeah. <gasps> well, 
Well, that's why I put my brother in the dream, and I was like, that's why I brought him in at all, because I was like, hey, you're messed up, and I want you to feel better. <laughs> Ironically enough, there's an HBO show called The Waitress, not Waitress, called The, the Flight Attendant, um, which is like, it's kind of like trashy, fun crime. Um, and I was so inspired by that, because she's this really, comp- the main character has this really complicated relationship with her brother. And as I watched it, I was like, this is Valerie. And her brother. Wait, it's the, HBO. It's HBO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not incest, right? No. Okay, thank What's God. That's only Game of Thrones. Oh, is it only Game of Thrones? Yeah. yeah. And so. that's oh, George okay. R. Martin, not HBO's fault. Um, yep. That's fair. But I like watching that. That man. If, if anyone's interested in those themes and dynamics, like there's a conversation in that show where I be, it's basically the same thing Valerie had with her brother, where she's like, I didn't realize dad was so shit to you. And I'm so sorry that I was a part of that. And that vulnerability and healing, like, I think, personally, I feel that that is so brave to take ownership of the part you had in somebody else's trauma or whatever, (laughs) and to move from there, and that's awesome forgiveness and human connection. So that's kind of where I got that from, and I would love to explore it more, but I'm happy with what we got, if that helps. Okay, so those were, oh, I accidentally opened Spotify. Okay, uh, Keith, we're going to ask you some questions. Okay. Um, can you talk about Sheevan and Mab? Yes. Please. <laughs> uh, I, I always imagine that their relationship is similar to... One, I feel like Mab was a, a bit of a mentor towards Sheevan early on. Mm. Um, and Mab kind of pushed Sheevan down a path that ultimately Sheevan didn't want to pursue Mm -hmm. uh but then their relationship after that for decades kind of became that strained relationship you may have with that aunt or uncle who's that teeny (laughs) bit racist at thanksgiving (laughs) where she says one thing and everybody's just kind of like yeah, and you're just uh, like, Linda, you can't say that. Can't say that. That's not okay. I'm not gonna like. I don't want to make Thanksgiving uncomfortable, but I'm gonna have a talk with you afterwards. <laughs> that um, word is what we used in the '50s, not now. And, and all that's a rug, not a person. Yep. Ultimately, I feel like uh, Sheevan felt that Mab crossed the line yeah. at the end, mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, she even wasn't going to have that. Um, there is something to be said about she even is, is inherently selfish. Um, but she even also has a sort of selfish affection for everybody around them. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite uh, aspect of self- selfishness for the record. Like, it. it's, it's, I like spending time with them, so I don't want you to kill them. Mm-hmm. Kind of selfishness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that a big part of that kind of came into play there. Of You've kind of crossed the line, and we haven't had a good relationship in 800 years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with you. You're clearly going off the rails, and this is the best way to end you. That was... Like I said, I said earlier, that was one of my favorite moments of of the campaign with you guys. I I think that it also speaks to Sheevan's relationship with their their mother, 
mm-hmm. um, because that was the first time that Sheevan had kind of enacted that kind of power over any other Fae or Mab. Mm-hmm. And kind of embraced that birthright, almost. Yeah. yeah. And especially considering that it was towards another royal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. And then healing through the Lang Mab. I loved that, that we got mm-hmm. those kind of back-to-back, and it was kind of like an overlapped and, and, like, new Mab is great. Lang Mab was so fun to play. I love her. She even calling her my Mab. Mm-hmm. sounds yes. so silly but it was so meaningful to shivan mm-hmm. yep i mean it's choosing your family and choosing the world you want around you choosing your home it's it's all shivan's story and, and I'm a, that's I'm a that's a found family <laughs> <laughs> that's very much a, a thing of like <laughs> in in uh shivan's mab shivan saw all the good aspects of the original mab without that kind of fall from grace that had happened. There's an innocence, uh, a charming, beautiful innocence. to. And I think that there's there's definitely something to be said as well about Sheevan's first response to uh, killing Mab was to forget about it by releasing mm-hmm. all of Mab's energy into the Feywild. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh. yeah. And then when needed, actually went out of their way to confront it and taking some of it back and accept that that happened and that they were responsible for it healthy i want people in therapy to listen to that and think about the metaphor (laughs) um so this is a question from isamu as everyone was preparing for the arrival of the hellstar there were moments when i questioned shivan's motive or allegiance toward the group especially with oberon and trying to get him to rip apart the treaty was this intentional to provide a deeper aspect of Shivan's character, or was it to add suspense to the story? I am wondering about this too. <laughs> so, it wasn't to add suspense to the story. Uh, it wasn't to add deeper aspects of Shivan's character. Mm-hmm. That's just Shivan's character. Mm-hmm. Can I, I can was I share something that you, you sent me? That. Yeah. Uh, early before we did the Mab arc, before we did Eighth Wonder. Um, I got a message from Keith. Like, hey, depending on how this goes, she even might turn heel. And I was like, oh. Yeah. Okay, so I was preparing myself for that eventuality. Mm-hmm. Right. That makes and sense. I'm, I'm curious to know why that didn't happen. Ultimately, I think that it didn't happen uh, because she even was able to manipulate a good enough outcome. Okay. Sure. Um. It's not necessarily out of a lack of loyalty to the group, but when it comes down to it, as I've said so many times, Shivan's selfish. Mm-hmm. Shivan is inherently concerned about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, they have lived long enough as well to see their relationships with friends like Arthur and Valerie as fleeting moments. Sure. Yeah, that's huge. Yep. And so that's that's something that in the in the opportunity to uh, secure freedom for their entire people or to prevent the destruction of their family, they can throw away that fleeting friendship. Mm-hmm. And 
they might be sad about it, but it has to happen sooner or later in their mind. That's interesting to me in the way it parallels Lang and the action team. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I think that Shivan didn't really talk about it a whole lot, but Shivan wasn't against the Langians' plans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Valerie was extremely against the Lenyans' plan, but I understand. I, I, that, I mean, when you take away the emotionality of it, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and it was not a bad plan. Literally, <laughs> Shivan's made that plan. Literally, mm-hmm. Shivan's only connection to the world was emotionality. Yeah. The way that they always mentioned it was, "I like this world." Mm-hmm. It wasn't, there's any inherent merit to it. I don't have any inherent connection to it. I just emotionally like it. Mm-hmm. Cool. It's the same kind of connection that you might have with a favorite teacup. <laughs> you like it. You want to use it. You don't want to get rid of it. But if it accidentally breaks, oh no. Well. Get a different one. Just get a different teacup. It's fine. Find another teacup, make the same mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> I just whacked my microphone. I'm sorry so, if that came through. I, just the final thing is I don't I don't think that she even, uh, like, turned traitor to the group, but then I also don't think that she even actually ever felt any sort of allegiance to yeah. the group either. Mm-hmm. Um, they, were, they were there because it was fun. They enjoyed it. Um, so to dramatically turn to the other side of Shivan, um, Shivan provide a lot of the comic relief in the series, which is a turn from what we've seen you play in the past on the podcast you traditionally play. You've played Pariah, and you've played a couple incidentary characters, which were a little bit more stoic or logical. Um, mm-hmm. can you talk about finding that balance between goofy and serious and describing how you find inspiration to play such tonally different characters, Keith? It me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one, one of the big things when it comes to, to characters is I like to take aspects of my, my own personality um, and really blow them out of proportions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, a- every character I've played has taken some aspect of me. Uh, and then it's become exaggerated. Yeah. So I oftentimes don't express thoughts or emotions readily. Uh, I I take a lot of time to process them uh, slowly and at my own pace, and that exaggerated into Pariah. Interesting. That's fascinating. Uh, Shivan is a different aspect of me that got exaggerated as well. Sure. Very cool. I like that. And as far as finding the balance between goofy and serious... uh, I actually found it very easy to do because you can very easily throw out a quick quip Mm -hmm. or do something silly with a fake character like this Mm -hmm. uh, that has a serious motive down the line. And so I liked to think of the serious things first. What's the goal I want to achieve? Mm -hmm. All right, now what is the silliest way I can go about doing this? I love that. That's a fun, challenging way to play a character too. I, I my favorite is Mab's gonna go after Valerie because tasty tasty soul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's 
Yum. Yum. Uh, Lang, delicious. Uh, so, what do I do? Well, Mab needs protection. I could just cast a protection spell over Mab and be done with it. But, that's... Wait, do you mean over uh, Valerie? Valerie? Yes, sorry. Against Mab. Okay. And be done with it. But, that's kind of lame. Right? That's that's straightforward. That's, that's the easy way of doing it. Yes. That's the boring way of doing it. <laughs> the much more amusing thing is, let's trick Valerie into getting protection. So how do we trick it? Well, we make her feel obligated. How do we make her feel obligated? It's a gift. Okay. Because so that directly relates to me, Sam, as a human. And that, that stuff I add, that like unintentionally put into Valerie of like the obligation and like politeness. That's so funny. I love and it. So Cuz that would work on me. <laughs> went and got a marble and made some quips about that, then made a a a protection stone out of it and gave it as a gift and <laughs> emphasized how important it was that you kept on kept and held on to it there you go like so much so that she even would probably still be mad at valerie if valerie got <laughs> rid of it even though the magic is gone i feel like it's like in like a glass case now <laughs> like it's like displayed in a place of <laughs> and now it's just a marble yeah yeah but it's important um all right, so we're going to, before we get into questions for Nick and the ending questions for Connor, let's, I need extremely quick answers from everybody as I ask these questions. If the dream existed in real life, what would you guys do with that time? Connor. Fuck. Uh, you would not fuck. No, I would not. Is that what you would do? Really? <laughs> no, no, not me. Two ways for that shit. Uh I'd probably, honestly, I'd probably learn to play guitar again. I'd probably, oh, yeah. like, learn an, or learn a weird instrument. Like Nick. the hurdy-gurdy. Oh! Nick, what would you do? Hurdy-gurdy. Uh, we take anything we are carrying on ourselves into the yes. dream, correct, Connor? Yep. I'd get caught up on so many fucking video games. <laughs> uh, so many. I, I would do anything and everything relaxing that I yes. can do, because I find that I just don't have enough time for that in real life. I would do exactly what Valerie did and work on my books. Um, any plan? First, first, Connor. Any plans to do a Lang spinoff where we see the events of the previous world before the Hellstar destroys it? No. Ooh. No. <laughs> if that was a reality, I need each of you guys to claim and me to claim a member of the action team. Go. Doctor Kevin Sweeney. Shannon Sweeney. I wanted Kevin. <laughs> Tough shit. Amber Moon Sr. Okay. Um, I still... Connor, okay. Is Amber Moon Sr. actually Amber Moon Jr.? No, Amber Moon Jr. is no. Amber Moon Sr.'s kid. You had this, you had this yeah. weird conspiracy theory. <laughs> yeah, I had this weird conspiracy theory because they were talking about artificial souls and putting them in a person. Sure. What if it's possible? Snappy's involved. And so I was like... What if? No. Nope. Actual no. kid. Actual kid. Oh. I'm mad because I wanted to be Kevin. <laughs> I want so badly to play Kevin, but uh, it makes sense. Connor. All right, I'll be. I'd be snappy then. <sighs> I can be snappy. It's fine. I just pick one and stop picking the ones I, I want. Pick. All of yours. Wait, no. You picked <laughs> Kevin. You get to be Kevin. It's fine. Clearly not. <laughs> 
<laughs> Who do I have to choose from? Uh, Ruth, uh, the unseen. Oh yeah, you be Ruth. I don't want to be Ruth. Seven. I don't want to be Beth. The unseen Sienna La Rosa. Um, okay, maybe that. What did, what was her power? Uh, essentially, it was redacted in the document. I want her. I want to do more with okay. that character. I want to she... play a badass lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> It's my truest form. Okay, I said go quick, and I was the one who held that up. <laughs> because I really wanted Kevin. Um, Alright, uh, Nick, can we talk about... Our, we've talked about it a little bit, but Arthur throwing Ipsaw down the well was super <laughs> a super huge turning point. And yes. can we talk about like the motivation, and what went through your mind where you were like, you know what I should do? Right. Um, okay. <laughs> so... There were a lot of things that went through my head mm-hmm. um, that were both player and character motivated. Mm-hmm. And so the first, I mean, the character motivation was he was pissed yeah. because the Aegis that he stands for is to protect the people. That is what he does is he protects, he protects his world. And now that he knows that there's more, he wants to protect other worlds too but he was very angry at the fact that they ran away um because arthur would rather go down swinging than say that he didn't do every single thing that he could Mm -hmm. and so he got real angry about that um which is why he originally just you know grabbed him by the by his collar and was holding him up because Mm -hmm. he's also a giant of a man holding this tiny elderly mayor and i think when the mayor was very clearly unwilling to cooperate with like any sort of plan because the mayor was so rooted in what you know he was just trying to do the same thing all over again Mm -hmm. arthur was like okay you have just made yourself the threat to this world because you led it here to begin with and you're going to sacrifice all of my people in order to save your own skin. Yeah. And so I think that kind of brought in, like, it's it's this weird, beautiful cross between the harsh, punishing aspect of Aegis mm-hmm. and Arthur's good-natured heart, mm-hmm. in which he wants to protect everybody. But there's that that very dark underside to Aegis. That, and that's why he tells him, you've been promoted to D-class. That was very and much the, the most Aegis-like thing Arthur did the entire campaign. Exactly. Yeah. And that's because it, like, it, his brain was just, like, unable to process why that, why somebody who used to work for Aegis would yes, do something like sure. this. And so it returned him to like his basic, like most basic instincts. Programming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so like in this moment, you have both sides of Arthur in their extremes with his, yeah. his strongest desire to protect somebody, but also that morbid curiosity that Aegis and the SCP Foundation, which, you know, inspiration is, mm-hmm. which is, what happens if I do this? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That feels like it. Like that is Arthur's turning point. I feel like killing Mab is one of Sheevan's key turning points, and the whole like 
reckoning with Beth is for Valerie. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very cool. Um, Connor, did you have something to say about Ipsaw well, the Well? I was just going to say, it was also a very interesting moment because Ipsaw, again, by design, was probably the most inherently villainous of the NPCs. Um, again, in his mind, he was doing what he thought was the best move. He was convinced that no matter what they did, the world was going to be destroyed. So he was going to take as many people as he could and get out. Mm-hmm. That was his plan. But of all of the plans, it, I, it, he, his was the most selfish. His was the yeah. most self-centered mm-hmm. and the most damaging to um, the most people. Because even the, the action team, they were planning on trapping the Hellstar here. So yes, they were going right. to end up destroying an entire, you know, an entire snow globe, an entire universe, basically. But it right. would prevent the Hellstar from traveling to another. Whereas with Isaac, with them running, there was nothing that would stop the Hellstar from following them. Right. So and that's why Arthur was like, Mm-mm, nope. So mm-hmm. to me, that was a very good moment of like, Arthur doled out the harshest punishment for the character who most deserved it. And I felt like that was very, cool. very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking about Aegis, um, Arthur's key partnership is with Aegis. They literally created him. Uh, I personally imagine he has an extremely complicated relationship with the agency. Can you talk to that point? Are there any aspects or relate or resources of Aegis that you wish you could have taken advantage of throughout the story? Yeah. Um, I think that... so. And this was touched on a couple times about how Arthur doesn't remember anything yeah. before waking up on that table. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Arthur was probably just some run-of-the-mill Aegis employee. Uh, in his backstory, you know, I it, it was never touched upon because he doesn't remember it. Right. Uh, but there was a containment breach and he was brought to near death. Like... I think actually, probably for all intents and purposes, was declared legally yeah. dead. And they brought him back to life um, inside this suit of armor. Mm-hmm. And some of my favorite moments were when Arthur, this person who's not very good at dealing with people, shown time and time again, mm-hmm. because he doesn't have a very good way with words, um, was when he would have to talk to Aegis because Connor did a very good job of making those conversations into ones that Arthur stumbled around Mm -hmm. Um, because Arthur was not a man who stumbles. Arthur is a man who, you know, yeah. (laughs) And like he, he does not, he does not fumble. He doesn't screw up. Like Arthur's whole shtick is that he is a solid rock, Mm -hmm. but anytime he has to talk to them, He's like, well, shit, oh, fuck, um, uh, uh. And eventually, by the end of the campaign, he has gained an authority over the whole situation. And I think that has a lot to do with being around Sheevan and Valerie. Mm -hmm. Cool. That's very interesting. So, yeah, I would have liked to have a couple more talks with Aegis, but... I also noticed, now that you mentioned it, the final conversation you had with the the, the Archmarshals... Um, mm-hmm. Arthur was a lot more confident in like his his speech at that point. Mm-hmm. Like, you were in control of that conversation, and it was very well good. because, he, mm-hmm. and that's a good point. And I wanted to actually talk about that. Is like he knew what he stood for then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Up until yeah. this point, 
Arthur was just like, I'm just following orders. That's about it. But he has purpose now. And it's not purpose that is given to him. It is purpose from within himself. Mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons, this is kind of off topic, but the reason, one of the reasons I love this story so much is it's like an adult coming of age. Like the themes that we saw in this are very much the matured versions of stuff you see in YA. Like Mm -hmm. figuring out your identity, figuring out your purpose, but it's in this more firm, matured way where it's figuring out what you want your life to look like. And honestly, I think that's a very late 20s thing, so that might be reflective of us as creators. But that <laughs> speaks really well to that. You know, it's... it's Aegis is effectively Arthur's parents. And right. he's getting to a situation where he is the adult alongside of it. Instead well, there of was... taking orders all the time. Right, and to kind of build into that, I mean... Every other NPC, every and both of your characters in the story, like you guys had mentioned before, there's analogies to DID, there's analogies to, you know, there's even analogies to coming out within, sure. like, certain characters sure. and all of that. But Arthur doesn't really have any of that. Um, and I think that that is the only aspect of myself that bled through into the character is I don't have any of that stuff. And Arthur was, his growth was finding where he fits in, into this world that he is learning mm, about, it's like a- which is something that, you know, was, I went through for, and still am going through as, you know, cishet white man. It's but and like, allyship. Right. And so like, I, I wanted to kind of like, because I didn't want to touch on those points because I have no touch point on them. And so I wanted to have this character who is learning and growing alongside them in his own way. Cool. I love that. Um, all right, last question about Arthur. Do you think his experiences in Belhaven and dealing with the Langians through those Arthur might trust more <laughs> monsters from now on? This is from Samu. Will he ever start to capture them alive? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Captured, captured one, one who he but became mind very you, good friends with. <laughs> that one was not a monster. Yeah. Very true. And so yep. I think Arthur's big thing is he's always going to try to find out where that line is between monster and person who needs help. Mm. Because beforehand it was, it's a monster. I must try to contain it. Oops. Oops, I killed it. And so I think, I think he never, no, I think that, I I don't think that he ever managed to not kill true monsters. Yeah. But Um, he figured out that, that category. But he has learned how to discover when it's just something in need. Someone, something, et cetera. That's some good, like, personal stuff. All right, Nick, this is a question for you and not about Arthur. You have been both a DM and a player on the podcast now. What are your favorite aspects of each role? Oh, man. Well, anyone who knows me knows that I love DMing because they talk the most. (laughs) (laughs) But I love I love creating the story and I like because I've I've DM'd for you guys for two full campaigns now. Sure. And the three of you are brilliant players. 
just absolute geniuses, clever, the most fun to sit down, drink some beers, and role play with. And you challenge me every single time I sit down to run a session. And so where there's a lot of like, there's so much rhetoric on the internet where it's all like, it should never be the player versus the DM and blah, blah, and all that stuff. And it shouldn't, but gosh, darn, you guys make it have to be sometimes (laughs) like, geez, like I have to be like, okay, how can I make this threatening? Because they're just going to wreck whatever I throw at them. Yeah. Right, exactly. But like and it's so much fun because it's a game yeah. when you're the GM because you're sitting there trying to figure out what what can I do that will stump them? What can I do that will shake them? Well, what can I do that will make them feel emotions? That and that's my favorite that that is my favorite part of GMing, I think, when it gets down to it is it's that that raw nitty-gritty role play of when like and I don't want to jump back to the first campaign when we're talking about Bellhaven but like the moment when I separated Malachi from Yoel and he's crawling around screaming for her was like I was like like that was so good (laughs) right exactly and he brought it out in this beautifully raw way and like those are the moments that I just live for and as a GM. And you're on the other side of that as a player. Well, here's the thing. As a player, I'm I'm a little more selfish. Well, you can be as a player, I think. <laughs> I can be as a player. I can hog the spotlight. As the GM, you can't hog the spotlight. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, my least favorite thing is when a GM introduces an NPC to fight alongside the players... <laughs> And the the NPC gets the final blow on, like, the enemy. Mm -hmm. It drives me insane. Especially when I'm next up in initiative order. Mm. Yeah, I... I hate that. I I hate it so much. I consider those to be essentially DMPCs. Yeah. See, I hate hate the DMPC. I hate it. I cannot stand it. I hope you're excited for the next character I bring into the campaign you're playing and that I'm running that... Oh my goodness. But like the reason why I hate it is because as the GM, you are the backbone. Mm-hmm. Sure. You are not the star, you are not the protagonist. You are the setting, you are the story, you are the theme, you are mm-hmm. all of that for these players to create the story within. You are a page. You are a mad lib for the players. Yeah, I know, Sam. Hey. But- <laughs> She's giving me hurry up things. Motions. Look, let me stand on my soap on my soapbox. But my point is is don't steal that light from the players. Right. And so that's the one thing that I don't get as the GM. Yeah. But as a player, like for example, there is no throwing Mayor yeah. Ipsaw down the well as, the, as a GM. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no beautiful moment where you can make the GM and the audience all go <gasps> As a GM, you can make the audience and the players go, but it's not as rewarding, in my opinion. Well, wait, no, it's more rewarding for me. But but it's (laughs) a it's a a different different kind of rewarding. It's a different sense of satisfaction. As a player, I love to be able to collaborate and conspire with my favorite players. Yes, that's that's my favorite part. Mm 
is when I sit down and another player or all the players and I are sitting there going, oh, let's do this. <laughs> oh, man, let's no, do this. We should do this. Oh, light. man, we're well, going to go do this. Because I and think the GM is going to be so mad. The four of us are so used to telling stories with each other at this point that mm-hmm. it, it sinks really well no matter what the combination is. It comes back to what Keith and I were talking about yes. earlier. Trust. Trust. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that earlier. Like when you were talking about um, the whole concept of it's not supposed to be DM versus players. You can get into more of where it is kind of yeah. DM versus players there's when there's trust between exactly. DMs and players. Absolutely. Because like, you have to be like, my DM's not trying to just kill us for fun. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah, the sometimes are not I definitely do try up. to like put you guys in the most difficult co- oh, like shit. combat possible that was really just true. for my own enjoyment. But you know, <laughs> I have I have one very quick thing to add to what Nick was saying. Yeah, we were gonna just because, to you anyway. Just because because so as someone who's now also been in both seats on the podcast, yes. player and DM, I for pretty much the exact same reasons as Nick prefers being a DM on the podcast, I prefer being a player. like for me as much as i love dming and i love doing this it was pretty much again for the exact same reasons like i love being able to to bounce things off of you guys i love being able to surprise the dm i love being able to to give those moments to the person telling the story and to um be interacting with the story without knowing what's going to come next like and i so for pretty much the exact same reasons just on the opposite end of the coin which is i feel like nick that describes yours and mine yeah in yeah friendship in a nutshell. yeah guys well i mean like that's i mean we we have a very connor and i are very good at playing off of each other mm-hmm. in a very different way than keith and i are very good at playing off of each other mm-hmm. keith and i i think shine best when we are playing as like players together mm-hmm. sometimes because like we just build off of it we just go Connor and I are like shine best as that GM player relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think like the times when it's just him and I um in the stories is where that really shows. Yeah. And so like there have been like and I'm sure Connor did it sometimes too, but like there were certain parts that I wrote just like I was like this is just for Connor. Mm-hmm. Like this is 100% just for them because I and I'm going to be like I'm not even going to like input that much. I'm just gonna let Connor take the show, yes. and I know the, how this Connor. I know how this NPC will respond to certain things, I love and I'll that. just I'll see where he goes with it and respond accordingly. Mm-hmm. Cool, it's yeah. very interesting. Um, pivoting over to like kind of the more mechanical story based side, um, for all of us, I guess, are there things we've played Monster of the Week and D and D? So there are things that we will. Are there things we like about Monster of the Week that D and D doesn't offer? Are there any mechanics for Monster of the Week that we would want to incorporate it into our D and D games? Um, Absolutely, it's so Absolutely. fluid. It, there, yeah, that's go the for thing. It, guys. I have the problem, answer, but Connor. The thing that I love and the thing that I don't think will ever work in D and D, just because of the structure of D and D, is how much how open you can be with what you do with your characters. Mm -hmm. Like the way the magic system works in monster of the week is you do magic to do something. What do you do? And I love that because just thinking on some of the situations that happened and the confines of like a D and D, even a pathfinder, which has like spells out the ass, 
Like, any of those spell lists, the confines of what you can do in those games make it so much Can you make me fast? Yes, it'll let you do an extra thing on your turn. Right. Versus the, like, I always, my favorite. Versus, let's go. My favorite thing, <laughs> my favorite fight that we ever had in Bellhaven was in, in the gas station, convenience or bodega thing, because I got to do such cool imaginative magic mm-hmm. that Connor was like, mm-hmm. yes, we'll explore this, we'll explain it together. And there's, that's, it's the collaborative storytelling of Monster of the Week and the freedom it puts on its players to mm-hmm. be creative that I absolutely love. And I really miss, and I think mechanically well, D&D limits you. Mm-hmm. And it also gives the, the DM more will room to play with the consequences of the spells. Like the Teddy Ruxpin in the finale. Yeah. Like the way oh, that yes. you, the way that you worded that spell, it was like, okay, it'll send people home. The home for the Lanyans is here. I had to keep my here. mouth shut that entire mm-hmm. time because I knew how, well, I thing, knew so how she phrased it. And I was just all I like, well, Connor and I you goofed, and you I goofed it. I, and it made me, and like, mm-hmm. I didn't know everything, but it allowed mm-hmm. me to make a more interesting choice with my timing because I yeah. knew there was a weird aspect to it. Well, because I didn't want it, it. This is me as a DM. I was I was racking my brain over that choice because I was like, yeah. okay, this makes the most sense. It's going to separate them. And I was like, but that is that too mean? So I, I sent Sam a message and I was like, hey, <laughs> I... If you don't want me to spoil it, I understand, but I feel like I could really use your feedback. Is this too mean? And it, I feel like it still worked really, really well. It worked so nicely. Mm-hmm. You gotta, sometimes, Connor, you just gotta break your characters. Well, y'all are different people. Con- or Keith, did you have anything to add to that conversation? <laughs> um, not really. I mean, the, the fluidity of interactions and play is something that i always really like about monster of the week um but is mm-hmm. so hard to bring into dungeons yeah. and dragons unless you're mm-hmm. avoiding combat mm-hmm. um, right that's the thing game. that's that's the <laughs> that is the big thing i agree with you keith is like yeah. combat in monster of the week is just all like all right it makes sense for you to go next and uh oh and like everybody's okay if somebody says oh yeah it's that person's yes. turn they haven't actually <laughs> acted yet yes but in D D, it's now it's the goblin number two, and now it's PC number four. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, and, it, and then it, controlling a large number of enemies as a DM in Dungeons & Dragons can mm-hmm. get overwhelming. Mm-hmm. It's exhausting. And you make mistakes. Rather Note than... how all of my combats are like five monsters or less. <laughs> well, because like, it, the thing is, like you get so twisted up in mechanics that mm-hmm. you lose the strategy. Where in monster of the week i love that you can lead immediately on strategy you mm-hmm. like you lead off motivation what is the like i i imagine it was really fun to play map because she got to do whatever she wanted mm-hmm. and it worked and also, there was no spell list a, a, a cool thing with monster of the week's combat is by design everything has very low hit points like combat is uh-huh. combat is fast and it can be over in a second um one way or another like there were moments where i if the dice fell a different way she even could have died in the convenience store um yep. yeah she even you guys could have died in the hell star like she even was close to standing yeah. yeah like i don't think arthur would have died no, no because you were nigh untouchable <laughs> i i i'm so sorry i am so happy that i saved almost all of my luck 
for the Hell Star. Yeah. That was that was that was, that was clutch, clutch, is what it was. If, if I wanted I was to do, so... if I wanted to do any real damage to Arthur, I would have needed to practically one shot Sheevan and Valerie. Is yeah. the thing, and I yeah. realized that. That's one failing I think of Monster of the Week is mm-hmm. the balance can sometimes get skewed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, well, I mean, we were. I think you were able to challenge Arthur in non-physical ways mm-hmm. that were yes. equally emotionally. It was equal yep. emotional payoff. Because in D and D, Arthur's the, fight is not on the battlefield. In D&D, Arthur's the fight threat, is in his own head. The threat is almost always physical in D and D. Mm-hmm. And when you expand your narrative and your mechanics, you're able to have the threat come in multiple ways. And I think, Connor, you did a great job of that. And I think that's what you have to remember, I think, going into a Powered by the Apocalypse game mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. think about your threats differently. Yeah. Um, well, to, to that point, I mean, I, I love the Yeet battle yes. because we didn't win. That's true. Mm-hmm. We just made him stop fighting. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah. given a couple more turns, I would have won, <laughs> but. Um, Connor, <laughs> last question for you. Yeah. Um, how did you prepare for each session of the Bellhaven situation? And mm-hmm. do you have advice for new keepers who are running Monster of the Week? Um, so for, for the way that I prepared, I, I really prepared by arc. Um, mm-hmm. So I had those um kind of like intermediate arcs in between each one where it was you guys around Bellhaven like gearing up to the next thing mm-hmm. and those always were a way for me to a give you guys some more like role play time to interact with anyone who you wanted to do whatever research you wanted to about the the greater mystery and and b give me time to know okay well here's what they did last time how do i want to what do i want to do now and I want—I really mm-hmm. tried to make each arc feel different. Um, you know, the first arc was just that introduction to the town. Second arc with uh, with Yeet was very much this like this twisted funhouse maze that you guys were going through. Um, arc three was the most like by the book monster of the week yes. um, experience because it was you guys. Hey, there's something going on in Middlesbrough. Um, let's go investigate what's happening you discover the the source of it you you fight some minions you eventually confront the big boss and mab mab was supposed to be a boss fight but the way that 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 she even confronted it and the way that ended i like that we we cut out the big pause where i had to stop and think to myself do i continue this to be a boss fight or do i just let she even kill and yeah but um, i think you made the right choice mm-hmm. for the record so if, and I think, it was mm-hmm. and i think with monster of the week my advice to new keepers is to plan it like that like no here is what i want this arc to be here's the general theme i'm going to go for but your players are going to throw a wrench in the situation just by <laughs> just by design of the i mean they're going to throw a mayor down a well yeah. um but just like by design of the game there's so much wiggle room that it unlike D where you can plan all right this room has uh, this number of enemies, and yeah. in three rounds, they'll jump out and do this, and this will cause this to happen, and there's a boulder in the ceiling for some reason. Um, it's hard to do that in Monster of the Week because there's so much wiggle room with what characters can do that you never really know what's going to happen. Yeah. So a lot mm-hmm. of the the arcs themselves and the sessions themselves were very 
heavily improvised by me. Like I knew where I wanted them to go. I knew uh, the the beats that I wanted to hit. Um, but aside from that, that was it. Yeah. Get good at improv. Mm-hmm. Sorry. For, for Monster of the we'll Week, help. especially. Connor and I will help. But yeah. Cool. Well, that's all the questions we have, you guys. <laughs> that wraps up our Q&A. All right. Very nice. Well, Connor. Yes. Well, it's time. All right, let me grab the let me grab the scepter. Um, okay. The metaphorical the meta- metaphorical torch. The metaphorical torch. And uh, the literal scepter. And the yes. And the, the literal, literal scepter that now, we send in the mail to each other. <laughs> the shipping and prices the, are ridiculous. And the GM must hold during every session. Mm-hmm. In one hand, yes, it's very hard to roll sometimes. Raised up. <laughs> yes. Yep. We all have really strong left arms. Mm-hmm. We did this on purpose. The the passing of the uh, the game master torch for the next piece of experience in gold entertainment goes to Sam. That, I'd like to think that was my attempt to be the daughter from Schitt's Creek, and I didn't do a good job of it. <laughs> yes, it's me, everybody. The one, the one lady is running the next bit. You mean everyone's favorite everyone's girl? Everyone's favorite girl, Sam. Um, so we are actually so excited. I mean, I'm so excited. I'm speaking for the others. We are so excited about this. Um, no, you can. Yeah, we're all excited. So we um have actually been in conversation with. Um, ben Costa and James Parks, they are the minds behind um, Rickety Stitch and the Gelatinous Ooh, I'm trying to remember the full word. Gelatinous Goo. Goo. I never remember it's Ooh or Goo. Um, it's a comic series um, that they describe to us as Lord of the Rings, but it's with the Muppets. Um, they have designed an RPG called Land of Eam, and it is whimsical and weird and full of puns and, like, darkness, and I, it's wonderful. It's, like, very much the tone of the stories we tell, and they came to us and we were like, hey, we, we, we think we'd be a great fit, and we are very happily running a, um, limited series um campaign of their rpg i don't have a title for it yet but we'll get to it later to be revealed um but i'll be running it the lovely keith connor nick will be playing the pcs um <gasps> that's an eldritch horror in and of itself the keith connor nick um, but get ready for just weirdness and wonder and a lot of goofiness. Um, we're planning on about six sessions is the idea. Um, and then... We're going to go more. It always well, happens. Okay, but the thing is that I agreed that we're going to do six sessions with the person who's giving us our theme music, so we have to keep it close to six. You're done, goof. But I'm really excited about it. I think it'll be a really nice, um, small session story for us to kind of transition between two um, big things. Um, yeah. Um, and I also wanted to bring up that the new Rickety Stitch book is coming out in April. So if you guys want to, like, get to know the world, 
um, of Eam before we launch into it. It's like this whole fleshed out awesome world to live in. So please go out, go to your local libraries, go to your local bookstores, buy their work. Um, it's a fast- Should we note that we are not receiving any money for this? No, we aren't. They're just our buds. And yeah, like I was going to say like- we are no, we're not selling out y'all we're doing something fun yeah this is just a collaborative effort um also if you're interested i believe that the land of eam rpg yes. beta is available for download it is yes it is we'll put a link uh to it in not Probably this episode because it would be one. a spoiler yeah you know what it's fine. We're going to put a link in the description. Go look at the description. Um, oh my gosh. And check out go this world it. before we jump into it. So next time we're going to come to you guys, we're going to take a little bit of a break and then emerge with our new story. Um, we're going to come with session zero so you can understand our characters much like we did for Bellhaven. And then we're gonna How long of a break, GM? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're going to take a month. All right. Sounds good to me. Nobody's correcting you, so I think we're good. It is correct what we discussed. So please listen to other beautiful podcasts. Actually, you guys could watch the stream that Ben and James did of Land of Eam. It's on YouTube. Just look up Land of Eam. You can watch it so you mm-hmm. understand mechanics, you understand the world. Eam is spelled E-E-M. E-M before we jump into it. Um, lots of awesome content for you guys to um, get into with them before we do our own take on it it's an original story so we won't spoil the like guidebooks for you because i don't want it i want you to be able to like run the adventure that they wrote so we're gonna make something dumb and original and trust me it's gonna be dumb (laughs) so that's where we're headed next i hope you guys enjoy it i hope you stick around to listen anything else from you guys before we wrap this up wrap it up sam wrap it up i haven't done this before I'm literally going to have to write myself a sticky note every time I do this. You can find us on Twitter at EXP and Gold. You can email at us at expandgold at gmail.com. Expand gold. Expand gold. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your pod podcatcher of choice. Uh, we appreciate the reviews. We don't. We should read them online. We should read them on the show. We're going to do that for Land of Eam. Get your stuff in and I'll read your dumb jokes on the show. Um, Tell everyone how shiny my teeth are. It's true. His shiny teeth and him want you to... Shiny teeth and he. I was referencing um, Fairly Odd Parents, so... Ooh. I, yeah, look, but if you guys don't sucks. like Fairly Odd Parents references, you are not going to like my Land of Eam. I mean, Butch Hartman, <laughs> is a, Butch Hartman is a trash man. Oh, really? We hate... Oh, yeah, no, he oh, fucking yeah, he sucks. sucks. Hate the artist, love the art. Is that cool? Eh, we'll work yeah, with it. Fairly Odd Parents is still good. But Butch Hartman is trash. We hate it. I take a firm stance against this now. <laughs> We've made some firm stances on a couple of very prominent individuals this episode. That's good. You know what? That's okay. And I stand by them. <laughs> I always say that um, that I think Jack Black is amazing and I will die in this hill unless it comes out that he did something terrible and then I will gladly leave the hill. Um, I hope you guys join us in a month for the next, next adventure. And I don't have a sign off. So until... Just use Connors. It's good. I'll use Connors. Until next time, we will see you next time. Thanks for listening.